The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm very concerned with what you're saying. Um, your book, Countdown, says that the modern world is threatening sperm counts, altering male and female reproductive development, and imperiling the future of the human race. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I believe you, <laughs> but I'm scared. I think we should all be kind of scared. Now, what is it specifically about the modern world that scares you? Oh, gosh, a whole bunch. But what I write about in this book is the problem with the decline of our reproductive health and the chemicals in the environment that we're surrounded with every day, all the time, that are playing a big part in it. Not the only part, but a big part in it. And so they're playing a part in affecting our hormonal production? Is that what's going on? Yes. That's actually what a good part of what they do. They affect, they interfere with our hormonal systems in various ways. So they could increase production of a hormone, like a proestrogen. They could decrease, say, an antiandrogen, decrease testosterone. They could mess with our thyroid hormone, and so on and so forth. So they change levels, but they also change how they're transported, and they interfere with making them available to other parts of the body, basically. Um, and you got it right. I mean, that doesn't sound so scary to people, but the consequences sound really scary, which is that we're, you know, by every measure, our sperm count, our miscarriage rates, our fertility rates, our testosterone levels, they're all going south, if you will, at the rate of about 1% per year. And specifically, which chemicals are responsible for this alteration? A whole bunch of them. Um, and as a group, they're called endocrine disruptors because they disrupt the endocrine system, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I spent a lot of time studying one particular class of those, which have the ability to lower testosterone. And the reason I did that is because I'm interested in reproductive health. And testosterone is so critical, as you know, for men and women's reproductive health. So that class is called phthalates. It's a terrible mouthful to say. Phthalates. Phthalates, right. Um, and they sound weird, but they're very, very common. And if you gave a urine sample today and send it off to the Centers for Disease Control, you would see that you have a lot, you know, not, not only phthalates, but other chemicals and plastics and other chemicals in your body right now. You could do that. It would. It costs a little bit. Quite and a, quite are a bit. we getting these from food? Are we getting these from water? What are we getting these? All of the above. All, All of the above. above. But the phthalates um, are probably mostly coming from our food. And that's kind of surprising. Um, do you want me to tell you how? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's think of a little experiment. So go into a hospital, into the neonatal intensive care nursery. I'll come back to the food. Okay. Um, and there's a baby lying there, and that baby has a lot of lines coming into her body. 
Okay, and that's that's delivering food, nutrients, oxygen, whatever the baby needs. Okay, and the tubes are soft, squishy plastic. Okay, so as the food nutrients comes through the tubes, goes into the baby, the baby metabolizes them, goes into the urine because they're water soluble, and then we get the urine, we measure, and we can see what's in it, and the amount of phthalate that's in that urine is exactly proportional to the number of lines coming into the baby. Mm. So that, if you understand that, you understand how food could be contaminated with phthalates, because milking machines have this, and, you know, all kinds of processing machines have this soft plastic. So this stuff is coming into the food somewhere between the time it's picked and by the way, phthalates could be in pesticides as well. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, and then they're introduced not only through those tubes, but also through the packaging. They're wrapped in, in soft plastic sometimes. And then in our homes, we might cook in microwave in plastic, for example. All of that just, it's not, doesn't stick to the plastic. It's not chemically bound. Hops into the food, gets into us gets into a pregnant woman's womb, affects the offspring. And I hope to be able to tell you how, that, how it does that. But it, it's, that's what I've been studying for about 20 years. So these plastic covers that you like if you buy food and it's wrapped, you know, like if you buy like peppers or something like that and they're wrapped in plastic, that plastic is leaching onto your food a certain amount of these phthalates, no matter what. It, it, different plastics are different, and I can't speak to all plastics, and some people take a lot of care to wrap their food in safe plastics. What, what are safe plastics? Yeah, so um, it's a changing landscape as new things are introduced, but there's an old saying, which I think is pretty much still true, which is four, five, one, and two, all the rest are bad for you. What does that mean? It means that if you had a plastic cup here, we could look at the bottom of it, and you'd see a recycling code. Mm. You've seen those, right? Yes. In the triangle, mm -hmm. there's a number. And that number is one, oh. two, three, four, five, six, seven. So if you want to know, is it- It's not on there. Is it- um, Jamie doesn't have one on his? Uh, maybe it's in the plastic somewhere else, sorry. You have to look at the bottom. Oh, there it is, yeah. What does yep. it say? Plastic bottle. It just has the symbol. It doesn't have a number on it. Oh. Well, some do and some don't. Yeah. But um, Four, five, one, and two, you, all the rest are bad, bad for you. you. That's pretty easy, right? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, the wrappings on the you know, peppers and so on don't have a number on them. But by and large, if it's um, – by and large, I can't say. It really, it really varies. But I do know that anything that comes in plastic, you do not want to put in the microwave. Absolutely do not want oh. to. Oh. Yeah. Do, really? So yeah, microwave that. foods that are in plastic containers? No. No bueno. No bueno. Mm. Take them out, put them in ceramic, put them in um, glass. It's really good. Um, and in general, if you can, get plastics out of your kitchen. When did all this come to light? When did people start understanding the, the negative consequences of plastics and your food? Um, well, I came to understand it first in animals, because um, that's the way science works. You know, first you do animal studies, and then you try to replicate them in humans, right? And so um, in around 2000, 
they did some experiments where they fed a rat food contaminated with phthalates. And then they looked to see how the offspring developed, right? And what they saw was that the males were born different than the females and different from unexposed males. Do you want me mm. to tell you how, yes, how different? Yeah. Yes, please. So this will really interest you, I think. What, um, what happened is, so let's go back. Okay. So before the phthalates, before, the, you know, early in pregnancy, the genitals are just a single ridge, same in males and females, undifferentiated, okay? And then at a certain time, and in mice and rats, it's 15 to 18 days of gestation, the testicles start making testosterone. And then that gives the signal to produce the male typical genitals. So if they don't have the testosterone, there will be ovaries, and if there is testosterone, there'll be testicles, and so on and so forth, right? And that migration requires testosterone at exactly the right time and the right amount. It's very delicately programmed, okay? So if that happens, if everything goes well, then the penis will develop, it'll have a certain size, <clears throat> and then there's something <clears throat> which is very key to, to my research, which is something you might know by the name of the taint. Mm -hmm. That taint, or we call it anogenital distance. Yeah, it's not a real. It's not really a technical term, is it? But anogenital distance is. Yes, but taint. It's hilarious listening to a PhD. Say right. Taint. Well, I'm saying that because I'm talking to a lot of people who might not know. <laughs> the area right? known as the okay. Yes, um, known on the street as yes, the taint. Yes, the streets. Right? <laughs> and um, or the gooch or the grundle. The or gooch. The, yes, I've never known as the gooch. You know about the gooch? Yeah, I, I just saw some, someone the other day didn't know what a taint was, and they're like, "Oh, you mean the gooch?" I yeah. didn't, I've never heard of the gooch. Nah. Yeah, I thought the gooch was like a baseball player. Nah, well, it could be that also, but isn't there a guy named Maybe the he's gooch? named after. Sorry. And also ABC. Have you heard ABC? ABC? No, I have not heard that. How's a that one go? Asphalt connector. Oh, the asphalt connector. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What so, about for a woman? Yes, you can measure. Yeah, it's but you not can't called call it an ABC. It's not called the ABC. Okay, for okay. sorry. So here you got this distance, and um, it's been measured in animals for like a hundred years. And what they use it for was first to just sex the animal. So the litter is born. There's a lot of little pups. They want to separate the males and the females because they're going to do different things with them. And they just hold them up by the tail and they look. And the reason you can do this is because in the male, it's much longer. It's 50 to 100% longer. Now, this is, stop and think about this. There's nothing else in the body that's that different between males and females in terms of size. Organs, mm. yes, but size, no. You know, our heights don't differ by 50 to 100%. Right. Our weights, nothing, nothing. It's this is it. This is the, <laughs> the mark. Is that in all animals? It's Almost all mammals. Really? The hyena's a little different. We could talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I know about those. You don't know about those, yeah? I have a whole bit about them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're ma the females are masculinized, so they have a longer AGD, mm. right? But most, for most mammals, it's this way, okay, including humans. So here's this little pup that's born, and he's 
if he's unexposed, he'll have a good, you know, standard penal size and AGD, and he won't have any malformations of his penis and so on. You know, he'll be normal. But if his mother was exposed to phthalates, everything can go south. And what happens is the penis is smaller, and the AGD is smaller, and the scrotum is smaller, and the testes are maybe not descended. In other words, it didn't finish the process. Mm. It was arrested, if you will. So we say that 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 pup is incompletely masculinized. Now, the amount of phthalates that get into the pup system in in vitro, in in utero is that the same? Is that possible to achieve those levels in the modern world with human beings? Absolutely, it is. And I'm going to tell you what I did to show that. I showed that. Wow. So when I heard this story, I was flying on a plane to Japan to go to a conference. I was with a friend who was a chemist for the Centers for Disease Control, and he said, "Shauna." You should study phthalates. And I'm going, why? I'd never heard of them. What, what, why phthalates? And he said, well, we have been measuring them at the CDC, and they're in everybody. They're in pregnant women. And this group of scientists in the National Toxicology Program has shown that they alter the development of the male newborn. And they called that the phthalate syndrome. That's what it's called. That collection of changes that come about after the mother has phthalates is called the phthalate syndrome. So I thought, well, does that happen in humans? Same question you asked, right? So how do you how would you how would you answer that question? Then I'll tell you what I did. How would I well you would hope that you're not running experiments like you're running them on animals. Right. Um, are you measuring the blood of the people that are having children that have issues like with, with uh, development, development issues in the way the children look when they're born? Is that what you're doing? It's really close. So phthalates have the property that they dissolve in water, the water soluble. And so they go into the urine. So for this class of chemicals, if you want to know how much is in your body and my body, we've got to measure the urine. Other chemicals, um, like flame retardants, we would look in the blood. So it depends what, what the chemical is. But, but you're the right idea. Look inside the body. Okay. Then, rather than looking at kids with problems, what I did was I just took a whole population of pregnant women, and I got their urine, measured their phthalates, got their kids, measured their kids. So then I had the problem of what to measure in the kids because nobody had made this translation from an animal genital <laughs> you know, developmental system to a human. And so that was kind of a challenge, you know, figuring out how to do that. But we did that. And we developed this system for this exam for measuring all these things that you measure in a rat. We measured it in our children. And then we showed, and this was big news when it came out, that the mother's phthalates did alter the genitals of the boys. Hmm. So that was the first evidence. That was 2005. And then we published some more in 2008. And then we 
fortunately, I got money to do it all again. NIH doesn't like to pay for replication. It's very expensive. These things are $5 million a study, by the way. Well, it seems like it's very important, though. Yeah. So they gave it to me. They gave me money to do it again. So the second time, I did it better because I really knew what I was looking for. And I got urine, actually, in three points in pregnancy. And I measured the kids exactly when they're born. So everything was much more precise. And I found it again. Mm. So now there's no question. I don't think anyone questions that at least this class of chemicals, which we know lower testosterone, alter the development of these boys. And then I asked, well, what does that have to do with sperm count? Because actually for a long time, we haven't talked yet about sperm count, but I've been studying, tracing, you know, what's happening with sperm count. Um, I'll tell you the history of that in a minute. But so then I thought, well, is this related to sperm count? Well, these are babies. They don't have a sperm count. But in rats, it looked like the AGD was permanent. So if you were, had a short, just like if you have a small hand, you know, your stature is certain, set it at birth, right? So the AGD, if you're born small, and my friend Earl Gray, who was a toxicologist, said AGD is forever. We don't know that for sure about humans, by the way, but because um, we haven't had the 20 years yet. But um, if you believe that, then a sensible thing to do was to take a group of adult men who could give you a sperm count and measure their AGD, right? And then you could see whether those with a shorter AGD had a lower sperm count. And then you would have one pretty solid piece of evidence that chemicals in the environment lower sperm count. Are you with me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So I did that study too. So I got students in Rochester, New York to volunteer for 75 bucks to participate. And they gave us a semen sample, and they gave us opportunity to measure them, also a questionnaire. How does one measure kids' taints? Do they just bend over and you bust out a ruler? I happen to bring you, bring you something to show you. That's that. I noticed you yeah, had this mm. measuring device. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Jamie's you... volunteered to let you measure his taint, by the way. Uh, so, <laughs> I have so, um, this is not for a baby. This is for this is for a Rochester young men study, um, and it looks kind of fierce. Um, but we had the points taken down. In yeah, the, I, the, I use one of those to measure uh, pool cue tips. There you go. All right. So you know all about it. Yeah. It's Turn it on. You want thirteen millimeters? That's what I like, but only for <laughs> only for pool cue tips. So look. Um, I also brought you a little diagram so you see where we measure. Okay. But we can't show this. To, I, don't, I don't know how to show this, but I'll show So it the you. calipers are in, uh, they're in millimeters or in inches or both? You, both. You can, okay. yeah, yeah. And and so what oh you Oh, boy, you got a diagram. So is there the a tank. chart online I could look up, like a, a... How about I just hold this up? Okay. Yeah. That works, too. Yeah. All right. Can we have a selfie with you and me in that picture? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. All right. So what I wanted to so when I published this, the uh, the headlines were size matters, but it's not what you think. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I got all these people asking me, "What should it be? 
what's good enough? What's big enough? So I did this translation from the millimeters for you. So here it is. The two inches is, is the median. Okay? Okay. And in this population. <clears throat> and um, here's the kicker. If it was less than two, men who had less than two inches were seven times more likely to have a sperm count in the subfertile range. I can tell mm. you what that is. As men who had an AGD longer than two inches. Wow. Seven times. It certainly is related to sperm count. And then another study in California showed that infertile men in an infertility clinic versus men who had come had born a child had smaller taint length. When did this stuff start getting into our food supply? Does that is that been estimated? So the growth of these chemicals um, tracks with the growth of the petrochemical industry because they're made from petrochemical byproducts, okay? So if you look at a curve of the growth, it starts around the 50, 1950, okay? So back in 1950, you have people loving science, jumping on the science bandwagon. There's this better living through chemistry that mm. everyone's talking about. And everybody is just wanting everything made of plastic. You know, it's the new, it's the new craze. It's the new, you know, and, and it just took off. It went faster than a straight line, you know, exponentially up. And so somewhere in there, it started having an effect. But where, we're not sure, but I did look at the decline in sperm count over time. So we could look at that as an indication that this is not the only thing that's affecting sperm count, by the way, this, these phthalates. But that's one where I feel I can say this with confidence because I measured those babies and I, you know, I did it. Mm -hmm. I did the science and I did it again. And, I, you know, <laughs> and other people have done it. And, and so it's, it's, I believe it's solid. And um, that's just one example of the many chemicals that can affect our hormone system. Well, it's very frightening because that, I don't, I mean, that's not a reversible thing. That's correct. Right? That is absolutely correct. So the development, the stunted development of these children is permanent. And That's it's probably incredibly widespread when you think about the use of these plastics and the That's amount, right. I mean, the amount of plastics. To get, I mean, people have plastic cups and plastic plates and plastic this and plastic that and Tupperware. And, is that for me? Yep. Oh, calipers. I can yeah. measure pool cues and taints. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is, uh, is this well known? I mean, this it's, I've, I haven't heard this before and I'm wondering, is this because I'm ignorant of this or is this because this is, I mean, you were saying this was all discovered in the early 2000s and your last study was 2005. Is that what you said? No, the last I mean, the first study was 2005. 2005. That was the first one. The um, animal studies were earlier, but that was the first human one. And they've been going on ever since. The problem is that we don't talk about the consequences of this. We as a society, we don't talk about sperm counts are going down, testosterone is going down, 
you know, we're having more and more children by assisted reproduction. I don't know about you, but I mean, do you know anybody who's had trouble having a child? Yes. Every, everybody it, says yes. It's quite a few people, but it's gen, in general, I, I notice it's usually older people that have had a long career, that have had a career, and then when they get into their late 30s or their 40s, then they decide to have children. It's very difficult. Yes. Aging is a, definitely a problem, but it's not the only problem, and there are many young... If you talk to your nice nurse that I, I forgot her name. Mercy. Mercy. She told me about two of her young friends who've had trouble having... It's not mm. just the... It's the it's the older ones, you know, they're more prevalent, so you hear more of them. But young people, too, are having problems. And it's, it's everywhere, and it's increasing. So um, I think now we're going to start paying attention because we're feeling the impact, you know? Yeah. Until it comes home to roost, as you say, it's not going to make us change anything. But I think this might. Yeah, I was reading something about lowered testosterone counts and that lowered sperm counts is, is happening with people and they were trying to figure out why but they had not made the connection to your work it was just an article hmm. about trying to recognize what's causing this trend so listening to what you're saying it really hits home it's this is that's terrifying because i'm thinking about how many people this affects and how many people consume things that are either wrapped in plastic or they microwave things in plastic, or they drink bottled water. We stopped drinking bottled water here a while back because just because it was wasteful. Right. And I'd heard about plastic leaching into waters and how, uh, you know, that something it could do something with add estrogen to your body or something like that. I'm like, well, it just seems like a bad idea to just <laughs> drink out of plastic all the time. And they, and they had said it was a bad idea when you leave. Like we lived in California, it was hot, and if you had a water bottle in your car, you should never drink it after it's been sitting in there. The same thing. Yeah, yeah but more, I did. Yeah. I never made the connection to the developmental cycle of a child. That child is the most sensitive organism. It affects adults too, but because it's there's just so yeah. much going on there, right? Sure. Everything is developing then. That's the most critical period. And like you say, it's forever. Mm. So let me give you a good example of this. Smoking. Smoking is not a good thing for reproduction. It's not a good thing for sperm count, okay? If the mother smokes, then on the average, her son can lose 40% of his sperm count. Mm. If the father smokes in that period before he conceives the child, there's 60 to 70 days that the sperm is being created. In that period, he's vul that sperm is vulnerable to what he's exposed to, like smoking. So then that child has also about a 40% lower sperm. And that's not fixable. However, if the man smokes himself, his parents didn't, he did, he might have a 20% reduction, and then he goes off, and then he's good to go. So it's very different if the exposure occurs in utero or postnatally or in childhood mm. or, or adulthood, yeah. So it's the unborn child that we really need to protect the most. Um, yeah. This is really scary information, and I'm wondering why this, not, this is not more popular. Like, why, why isn't this not on the news first story? Like, this is, this is affecting the development cycle of how many children? I mean, is are we even, everyone? 
That's crazy. It is crazy. And um, it takes a long time to get these this word out. And I wrote Countdown for this reason. I've been talking about this to my peers at meetings, conferences, writing papers. I've written over 200 papers and say this. But it's a very small circle of people that's know each yeah. other and know the facts. And that that's where it stays. In order to get it out, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to your listeners. I have to, I've given, well, over 100 interviews in the last two months. I mean, I'm just saying this to everybody I can because it's it's got to get out there. And I just can't believe I haven't heard it before. That's what's so terrifying to me. When the pitch, re- when I received the pitch, I read the breakdown of what your work was and what you discovered. And I was thinking, why don't I know this? How come I don't know this? This is crazy. Like this is what it's, what it's called. Okay, let's just talk. That maybe I'm. Maybe this is grossly exaggerated. Maybe, <laughs> but no, it's under exaggerated. I mean, or, or it's it's underreported rather. It's definitely underreported. I just don't understand how it could be. This seems like a significant issue. It is a significant issue, and hopefully more people are recognizing. But look, people don't. If if you have a problem with your cholesterol. I'm sure you don't, but suppose you had a you know had your cholesterol checked. You go to a cocktail party. You say, "I went to the doctor. I had a high cholesterol. I'm gonna not eat this and this." You wouldn't say, "I went to my doctor and have a low sperm count." Right. Right. People don't talk about this. They don't talk about their reproductive health. And here's one of the surprising things: is that low sperm count that's related to phthalates? That man is going to die younger. Hmm. Nature doesn't want him around. It's it affects the whole body. He's going to have likely to have more heart disease, and most likely that is what's going on, right? Like the body has with with a low sperm count body, the body is obviously damaged by this process in the womb, right? And longevity, vitality, just everything has to suffer. I mean, it, have you made a connection with this and depression or with? anxiety or any other things that are affecting people at a disproportionate amount? I haven't looked at that, but they, I can tell you it affects libido. Yes. Right? But that is one why I asked, because there's a, a gentleman that's a friend of mine named Dr. Mark Gordon, and he's worked with a lot of people with traumatic brain injuries. And one of the things that happens with damage to the pituitary gland is uh, a decrease in the amount of testosterone that's produced by the brain and the testes. And then what happens after that is severe depression. And this connection between hmm. severe depression hmm. and lowered testosterone hmm. is pretty significant. Uh, he's done a lot of work with uh, this group called the Warrior Angel Foundation with uh, another friend of mine, Andrew Marr. And they have worked with these soldiers. And now he's also done some work with football players and fighters and a lot of other people with head injuries. And he's shown this direct correlation between severe depression and lowered testosterone. Anxiety, a lot of like mental health issues. I would imagine that these kids that are born with this disruption in their developmental cycle and they have lowered sperm count, like, I bet everything is, yeah, everything's decreased. Everything's a mess. Yeah, I, I would, I'm definitely going to follow up on that and look at that. I can, what we've just, you know, we followed our kids. Our kids are now in our latest study, um, nine years, eight, nine years old. So they're not they're not there yet, mm-hmm. so I, I don't have those endpoints. But we do know um, that when we asked, um, for example, by the way, women need testosterone too. Yeah. Um, and 
it's related to woman's libido. So in our study, we did ask the woman about her sexual satisfaction, frequency, and so on, and higher levels of phthalates were associated with lower sexual satisfaction. Mm. And, um, you know, and it's, of course, it's related to erectile dysfunction, which, by the way, is now, you know, rapidly rising and, and testosterone re replacement is being used by younger and younger men. Um, so it's it's a big thing. It's, it's affecting thing. affecting all of our, you know, um, reproductive health. <laughs> you know, is this in other countries as well? Yes. Have they measured this in different countries, like countries in the developmental world, and the countries where they use less plastic versus countries where they use more plastics? Um, no, I don't know of a study like ours in a developing country. But we have studies in other countries for sure in Europe. Um, but if you, one measure of where it's a problem, I would say, is where is sperm count declining? Mm. And I mean, the kickoff for this book, Countdown, was a paper that we wrote in 2017, in which we showed that sperm count in Western countries had declined kind of catastrophically. So let me just tell you the numbers. Okay. Think back to 1973. That was the first, that's the start of our trend. And at that point, the median, that's the middle of the distribution, was 99 million sperm per milliliter. That's a good, healthy sperm count. 73. At the end of our study period was 2011. In those 39 years, it had dropped from 99 to 47. Yikes. Over all Western countries. All Western countries? Yes, averaged over all Western countries, yes. Wow. That's a fifth, more than a 50% decline in under 40 years. That's crazy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but it's that, I would imagine, this is just, I keep repeating myself, but I'm sorry. I would imagine this would be a, a big news story. I, I don't understand why you have to come to some Meatheads podcast to explain this to people. That That's, when I'm getting the word out on things like that, it really scares the shit out of me. Because I'm like, how is this not being picked up by major news organizations and 60 Minutes and all these different programs? Why are they not sounding the alarms? We, we need to figure this out, and we need to figure it out now. Right. Because it, right. what it's if it keeps trending down this way? It is. It is. So what we did in our curve, we said, okay, that's 40 years. What about if we go 30 years? Maybe it's slowing down. Nope. 20 years. Slowing down? Nope. 10 years? Nope. We saw no indication that the trend was slowing down. It's going to have to, let me just point out, because if you bring it down to zero, just think what that means. Median of zero means half the sperm would be negative. Counts would be negative. Not possible. Can't have a negative. Right? Right. So it's going to have to, just think about the curve, coming down, coming down towards it, it's going to have to flatten out. There'll be none. There'll be no sperm. You'll have a zero sperm count. I mean, if you if you if it's really dropping down by, it's basically fifty percent in the time period from nineteen seventy three to two thousand eleven. Is that what you said? Yeah. That's bananas. I mean, yeah. the fact that that can can even happen and not there's not alarms being sounded. 
I know. Well, we're changing human beings. Absolutely. Like what it means to be a human being, That's a developing right. human being is a different thing now. Right. Because of poisons. Right. Wow. That's really scary. Yeah. It's really scary when you think about that what you're saying about people having a hard time reproducing and where this could lead to a dramatic drop off in the population. Like we're worried about overpopulation. Right. But if this is real, the children that are being born today, if they have this issue and then we're looking at them 20 years from now, the reproductive, you know, sort of cycle starts kicking in in terms of like them having babies and raising families like What's the numbers going to be? What are they going to be for their children? Right. Wow. And here, so another thing to think about. So a mother is exposed to some phthalates, other chemicals, the phenols that line tin cans and the flame retardants and the pesticides. They all, they're all bad. They all can do this in different ways. But let's just talk about this uh, phthalates. So the mother's exposed to the phthalates and she's carrying, let's just say, a, a son in the womb. And then he has within him what's called the germ cells of his sperm. Right? So that 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 he's she's exposed the child is exposed and the next generation is exposed so from one person being exposed you're exposing three generations mm. so you're right to say think about the later you know the kids coming and the kids coming after that here but here's the good news should be some good news right yeah the good news is that in a very elegant study in the University of Washington, Pat Hunt showed that if you have a guy, mouse, <laughs> who was exposed and had impaired fertility and sperm count, and then you cleaned up everything about his environment, and, that, and for his child's environment, and his child's child's environment, in three generations, we can recover reproductive health. But what happens in three generations if we don't clean everything up? then the trend continues downward. Right. And how do we clean things up? That's the real question. If you, if this all this stuff comes from petrochemicals and, and plastics, that's a significant part of our world. That's right. And also a part of the world that has a very strong lobby right. that does not want a decrease in sales. Absolutely right. And they're probably... Has anybody fought this? Has anybody debated <laughs> you on this? Or does anyone deny the, the data? No. Not yet. Wait till after well, this podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of pushback from your listeners. But but um, there's... Okay, first of all, we can do better. One place... Let, let me just say, we used to do terribly with drugs. Mm. The regulation of drugs was terrible. That's why we had thalidomide babies, you know, yes. and, 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 and other terrible breakthroughs. And, and then the FDA got it together and learned how to regulate drugs. And we're, we're pretty safe now. And we know, for example, how to test vaccines and so on and so forth. So we can work toward a viable regulatory system if we want to. So I, I believe that. In Europe, they're many steps ahead of us because 
they have instituted something called REACH. Now, under REACH, if a guy manufacturer wants to put a chemical into commerce, into a plastic bottle, into a personal care product, where they are also, by the way, um, he has to show that it's not harmful before he does that. There, so there has to pass a series of tests. In this country, we don't have that regulation. In this country, it's put it in and we'll see if it's harmful. No prior regulation required. Mm. You see? So it's yeah. really, really different. The bottom line is like we have only like 11 chemicals that are not allowed in our personal care products. In Europe, they have 1,100. They also don't allow, they don't allow commercials for drugs. Yeah. We have a lot of screwed up stuff over here. Right. So, so, you know, what we have to think about is how do we get angry enough and concerned enough to change the regulations so yeah. that we're protected? Now, what, what can be done? Is that, have, has that been looked at? Well, well, two questions. First, what is happening to women? And what is happening to female babies? We're talking about lowered sperm count. What's the effect on, on female children? So this delicate testosterone balance that I talked about can go the other way for females, but that's not through something like phthalates. It's through other chemicals, possibly. Um, we just published a paper that, and this is early, I'm not going to, you know, this not the same weight of evidence at all as I have for the phthalates, but we just published two papers in which we showed that when mothers were exposed to higher levels of a certain pesticide, which is um, in Roundup, which is, have you heard of Roundup? Glyphosate. Glyphosate. Yeah. So that, that the, that anogenital distance in the girls was long, was more masculine. Mm. And that was shown in rats as well. So I, that may go away. This was the first study. It was a small study. I don't know that that's going to stick. But that's the kind of thing that could be going on, that there are chemicals out there that alter increased testosterone. They're called proandrogens. And, and they can mess up females in sort of in the opposite direction. But it doesn't have that same effect on males, correct? Like gly, uh, glyphosate? No, glyphosate doesn't. No, I don't think so. Not not in our, you know, not in our kids. So um, the animal data is a little not clear, but but in our kids we didn't see anything in the males. But um, the point is that there's lots of stuff out there that's messing. It's messing with our hormone systems, yeah. and so that's where we should be looking. We should be looking at you know what's going on out there that we're taking in all the time. By the way, right? We call them everywhere, all the time. Chemicals, you know, because they're, they're they're just coming in. We can't we can't stop them. We don't know. We don't know what's in our bodies. There's no. And you know what? It's it's not fair, you know, that we as consumers should have to worry about this. I don't think. Right. I mean, why do I have? Well, to... it's a complete failure on the part of the regulators. Right. The people that are supposed to be watching out for the general public and not allowing these things to get into our bodies, and not just the fact that Roundup is still available. Monsanto continues to sell it, and also the fact that it clearly is terrible for people when it gets into your body. It's not its not a benign thing whatsoever. Right. And that's just one. Right. 
What other things are are affecting the developmental cycle? Oh, my gosh. Um, so there are, you know, there's, there's the chemicals that are in, uh, coatings, just to say, you know, coatings of can, uh, Teflon frying pans, Mm -hmm. uh, coatings of, um, your jacket that you wear in the rain, you know, repellent, those coatings, and they're also on paper, you know, keeps the grease from going through to mm-hmm. the box when you buy a pizza. Those coatings are also hormonally active and very, very prevalent. I haven't studied those myself, so I don't want to talk a lot about their effects, but I know they have reproductive effects. I know they affect, um, for example, um, fetal growth. Um, so, so rain wear, like that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. The, ra- the repellent. Sense. The repellent. Yeah. You know, anything that puts a barrier, any mm-hmm. barrier, a chemical barrier, they're called um, the PFOS. Um, sometimes they're called PFOS and PFOAs. They're different classes of chemicals, but perfluorinated compounds. Um, then there are the phenols, the bisphenols, um, which, by the way, um, you probably... Did you ever try to buy a BPA-free bottle? I don't know if you ever tried. Yes. That. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the label BPA-free. Mm-hmm. So what happened was <clears throat> people got really upset about BPA. It had a lot of reproductive effects, and um, it um, so they took it out, and that's good. But what happened was, and this is happens over and over and over again in chemical cycles, they put something else in. They put in BPF, like Frank. And people S like Sam, and BPF and BPS are particularly BPF is um, equally, if not more, um, risky than BPA. And the bottle says BPA free. That's uh, true, but it doesn't say bisphenol free. Right. Right. So I think that's a dirty trick, mm. and and we call it um, whack a mole. Yeah. What can the general public do to eliminate as much of these harmful chemicals as possible? It's a big job. Um, For one thing, I'd say by countdown and look at the several chapters where we go into detail on things to avoid. Um, But um, uh, I could say you could think about (laughs) – thank you (laughs) – think about um, – Walking through your kitchen and looking for plastics and trying to swap out ceramic and glass or metal, not for the microwave, of course, but um, and um, in your bathroom to look at your personal care products. They won't say phthalates by and large. Because um, you're not consuming them? I don't know why they're not required. No, I don't. it doesn't say phthalates on our spaghetti sauce that has phthalates in them either. Um, we can come back to that. Um, but uh, I don't actually know what the regulation is. I know for sure they don't have to be labeled in fragrance products because those are um, trade secrets. If you buy a jar of spaghetti sauce that's in a glass jar, you're still getting phthalates? Probably, yes. You'd from have to the tomatoes, t- the packaging of the tomatoes? Probably from the processing. Oh. So when you go from a tomato to a sauce, you have to process it. And so that processing introduces phthalates. If you go, think about a cow, 
this is different, but it's the same principle. So the cow is being milked. Maybe this cow is on a wonderful farm with, you know, the picture of the farmer and the grass, and it's an organic farm, and, and, and everybody's happy. And then he milks the cow, or she milks the cow, through a milking machine that has tubes. Mm. What are those tubes made of? Plastic. Plastic. Mm. And so they go into the milk. Talons. So um, I actually am hoping to do a systematic study, which I'm calling f Farm to Fork, where we take a bunch of products, see what's in them at the farm, see what's in them at the table, and see where it's introduced along the way. Because nobody's mm. done that. We don't really know where they come in. So we don't really know how to keep them out. Yeah. And that would be if you're trying to eat organic. That would even in that sense, if you're having milk and it's coming through tubes, if you're having anything that's wrapped in plastic, even if it's uh, grass-fed, organic, there's still uh, you're you're wrapping it in a plastic. Yeah. But I would say the number one thing is do not microwave it in plastic. And is, I, is that accelerated or is that just like a, a way that it gets into the food much quicker or yes. much higher doses? Yes, because it's so warm. Mm. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, um, and and those little packets that it's sealed in mm -hmm. are not good. Mm. Yeah. So we have a lot to do to keep these out of our bodies. Um, and like I said, it's not, it's not really our job to do that well it's i don't think most people have any idea that this is that big of an issue and when you're saying all this stuff and i'm i'm terrified of this because i i feel like and i'm glad you wrote this book and i'm glad you this did these studies but i feel like this has caught people completely off guard and then i'm picturing a supermarket and just going down the road looking at like packages of lettuce and, and things wrapped in plastic and th meat wrapped in plastic and chicken and like, wow. You know, probably those single layer wrappers that those things are coming in, I don't know, I haven't tested those and that's one of the things I want to do with this project, but probably those are not so bad. I think the, the ones that have been sealed in are worse. Um, and ideally, I would say if you can go to like I go to the farmers market. I live in New York. I go to the farmers market down in Union Square. I buy stuff, you know, I take a bunch of carrots, I take it home, I put it in the fridge, I eat it. That is that will definitely not introduce anything in, into the product. What what happens to fully developed people that encounter phthalates if they encounter them in large doses? Like say like someone like yourself, like if you started eating microwaved food and you got a large dose of phthalates in your diet, what would happen? I don't think we know. Uh, we haven't studied the effect of adult exposures of uh, somebody my age, but if it's a, a couple who's grown up but wants to go to, say, assisted reproduction, um, beautiful series of studies at Harvard uh, showed that the amount of chemicals in their urine and blood when they come in for their assisted reproductive procedure influences how that procedure comes out. So how many eggs can be retrieved, how many are implanted, how many actually progress to a live birth is related to the chemicals in their body at the time they start the procedure. So that's an effect of, of an adult, to an adult, of an adult exposure, you know, that I know of for sure. Um, I don't, 
it's very possible that these are related to aging and diseases of aging. They certainly affect the brain. We know that from our studies. Um, so, but, you know, every one of these questions requires, like I said, $5 million. Mm. And you got a lot of chemicals and you got a lot of questions. So we really got to get busy. And you also have a lot of companies that have a vested interest in continuing business as usual and they want to deny as much responsibility for having these chemicals in our bodies as they can. Yes, and not to swap out ones we put yeah. the finger on with other ones that we haven't tested yet. And what you're talking about, too, is that to turn this around, you, in general, you're talking about multiple generations in order to bring the the developmental cycle back to normal. That's right. That's crazy. I wonder if there's a trend in terms of like uh, looking at young male athletes. Like if wow. you're looking at male athletes and phthalate and the, the, the development and what what's possible. I think that would be a fabulous study. A fabulous study. <clears throat> What, in general, what has the response been when people find out about this and when, when people read the data and see your book and, and, and read the information in it? Many people have a reaction like yours. <clears throat> this is really serious. We have to take this seriously. We have to do something about it. And there are people, I'm sure, that don't believe it. Are there people that have been dismissive? Um, there have been some people that have been dismissive. Um, of the kind that say there's too many people in the world anyway. Who says that? I can show those people. <laughs> too people, too many people in the world anyway. But imagine that that's your solution. There's too many people in the world, so let's ruin babies so that they can't reproduce. <laughs> right. And they're depressed. Right. right. And have small taints. And penises, by the way. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> it's just all this sounds really horrific. I mean, but really that has been the response that some people have, that uh, that this is probably – what maybe they look at it in terms of like nature has a way of working itself out, whether or not it's voluntary or whether or not it's just right. a, an incidental right. part of the system. Right. And that's essentially what's going on here. This is an incidental. It's an this is nature's way of dealing with an overpopulation problem. Yeah. Some people say, yes. Well, kind of makes sense that this does sort of balance itself out in some very bizarre way. But you know what? It's not just humans. Do you know that m many, many species on the planet have the same problem? And, and we can cause these problems in animals with these chemicals in the laboratory. So when you say it's nature's way of working things out, well, is that working its way out for the species that are becoming endangered? And well, I think they're just a side effect of nature working its things out with us. You know, if our <laughs> production of food and packaging of food somehow or another gets to these other animals, that's just uh, an accidental And it's not process. our responsibility. Oh, it's certainly our responsibility. It's all of our responsibility. <laughs> but it's really the responsibility of the people that are packaging food. It's really the responsibility of the people that are involved in getting the stuff to us and how are they getting it to us and how are the phthalates getting to us. If there was any other thing that someone was doing that it turned out was affecting the entire human race because of their business, just fill in the blank. Like if we found out that, you know, 
whatever it is, cell phone use or driving a car, is looking through a, a da- uh, looking at your dashboard was somehow or another affecting the reproductive cycle of the human race. There would be d- drastic consequences. People would be talking about this. Maybe. I would imagine. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but you know, again. We, this is not everybody's favorite topic, as I mentioned. And, and it's, by the way, it's painful for women especially. Let me just, we haven't talked about that. But yeah. um, you know that f- for centuries, women have been blamed for the fact that a couple can't get pregnant. The guy assumes he's good to go until he needs the, you know, to prove himself. And then if he can't, it's got to be on her. Most men don't have a clue about their sperm count. I don't know about you, but um, I can tell you, I think that every man should know his sperm count. Mm. Um, Not only because he might want to have a child, but because it might tell him something about his overall health, by the way. But so here's this woman that's being blamed. She's also being, and by the way, infertility we now know is about 50-50 in terms of blame. I don't think blame is the right word. Yeah, it's a weird word. Weird word, right? But, you know, you can find a female cause about a third of the time, a male cause about a third of the time, and a third of the time it could be both or you don't know. So that's kind of 50-50. And, and then you go, f- if they manage to conceive, then a high percent of pregnancies are, have miscarried. You, the miscarriage rate is probably over 50%. And that is also attributable to phthalates, you think? No, I don't. I think it's, um, it's going up. It's going up. It's the same rate as sperm count is going down, by the way. What do you think is causing that? Then? I think it's a lot of chemicals that are causing that. Different chemicals. Different chemicals. And um, I studied some of them. I studied chemicals in water at one point. I studied um, solvents in water and showed they were related to miscarriages. Chem- man-made chemicals are not great for our reproductive health. What chemicals are associated with miscarriages? Um, the Well, the... I can't say that off the top of my head, all of them, but the ones that I've studied, when I studied that, those were the um, chlorination byproducts. So when you chlorinate water, the high levels of certain chlorination byproducts, and also solvents that are used to clean chips and other, you know, certain high... So chlorination meaning tap water Mm -hmm. or also meaning swimming in pools that are chlorinated and getting it through your skin? My study was on homes, tap water in homes. But... But probably there's some risk from, from pool chlorination. Has anybody too. studied the for miscarriage rate of like active swimmers? Not that I know of. It seems like that would be a big one, right? Yeah, because you're yeah. you're most certainly if you're training in a swimming pool or swimming in a, on a daily basis, you're you're getting, getting a lot dosed with right. chlorine every right. day, right? Especially if it's a public pool. Yeah. So here the. The big picture is that we have these thousands of chemicals that we can't get a handle on. There was a law. It was called the Toxic Substances Control Act, and it was published in 76. And at that point, when they put that in, they said, okay, here are thousands of chemicals. They've been out there for a long time. Nobody seems to worry about them. They're all okay. They were called grandfathered in. They were not regulated. Mm. We have that legacy on top of the lack of testing of new chemicals. So there's very little regulation of all of these chemicals that are circling 
in our environment and entering our bodies. And I, my, I and my colleagues, you know, are few uh, compared to the problem, and we need more resources and we need more people worrying about this. And um, I think the first step is to just have people like you and your listeners and people I talk to on all these shows I've gone on, you know, recognizing, thinking about it, just thinking about it, you know, uh, wow, this seems to be a problem. Maybe I should worry about bringing this and this and this into my house. Maybe I should read these labels. Maybe I should, you know, because it hasn't been in our consciousness. It's another way of thinking. There's a decrease in lifespan that's associated with large population centers, whether it's uh, you know you know Los Angeles or New York or living, but living in urban areas, there's a decrease in lifespan. Uh, they think it's uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 years, and they don't know if it's because of brake dust or pollutants or particulates in the atmosphere. They don't know what it is. Um, but has there been a study on? Well, I'm sure there probably hasn't on sperm counts in rural areas as opposed to sperm counts in in high population areas? I actually did that study. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I shouldn't but have been but, sure. <laughs> but the answer is not what you'd expect. Oh, really? Yeah. So in this study, um, we got four groups of people, and that turned out to be men and women, and I can tell you why. Um, and they were, um, one of the centers was Columbia, Missouri where I was living. And that's rural. It's agricultural. They grow a lot of corn and soy there. And one of them was Minneapolis, urban. And then mm-hmm. there were some, I'm just gonna talk about those two. And in those two centers, we saw that men in Missouri had half as many moving sperm as men in Minneapolis. Did they associate that with farm chemicals? Yes. That's the next study I did. (laughs) So then I took men with good semen quality and bad semen quality and measured how much of the pesticides were in their bodies. And there were significantly more pesticides in the sample of men who had poor semen quality as compared to good semen quality. Now, is this because, is it airborne? Is it like we're talking about enormous cornfields and glyphosate and all these other different chemicals or they they work their way into the air itself because they spray or water water run off from the fields into the water and then it pollutes the the water supply right or air i i couldn't i didn't study how they were getting this but they weren't workers they weren't agricultural workers and they weren't living on farms they weren't farmers just regular they're just regular folks living in that area including me um so that was pretty dramatic um, that is very dramatic. Yeah. I, I would, I, I've driven past corn. I have a buddy of mine who lives in Iowa, and uh, you know, you you drive down there and you see these enormous fields, like huge, huge fields of corn, and and I've always wondered, like, where's all that going? Like, for sure, they're spraying this stuff. And the workers who are spraying it and getting on, oh. you know, they're they're even more highly exposed. And those those studies of high exposure, you know, here's an example. There was a a pesticide that was used um, to grow pineapples was um, nem- nematicide. It killed nematodes and um, dibromochloropropane. And so there was a picnic, and the wives were talking, and the, I, we haven't gotten pregnant. We haven't either. Really? And gradually they did a study of these men who had zero sperm. 
Zero. Zero. <sighs> and then they banned DBCP, and in about, I think, four to five months, the men sperm returned. So wow. that's, that's the thing about adult exposure. You can reverse it. So that's, that's kind of the good news, that, that you can reverse it. The only good news all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, but I, I don't understand. I mean, I don't know. When you talk about monocrop agriculture on large scale, like these enormous cornfields, I don't know how they do that without pesticides. Yeah. I honestly don't know, but I hope there is a way. And I think there are people that are working on that, you know, regenerative farming and so on. I don't know. The thing about regenerative farming, though, they don't they don't do monocrop agriculture. That's true. The whole idea of regenerative farming is that you try to mimic nature. Right. The cows eat the grass. They poop. The poop becomes the fertilizer. The fertilizer helps the plants. This is not what you see when you have these enormous cornfields. So maybe those enormous cornfields are not good for us. They're not good for us. Right. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. They're not good for us. It's just not It's not a natural scene. Like when you see the amount of manipulation that's required to grow a thousand acres of corn or whatever in one spot, like that's not, you don't see that anywhere in nature. Right. Or a thousand cows in a. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A small enclosure. Yeah. It's, whew, we're so strange. Human beings are so strange. Like what we've done to the, the to the environment in such a short time. That what's crazy to me is if you go back to you know eighteen twenty two hundred years ago. There's none of this. Yeah. There's none. Right. Zero. So in two hundred years, we've completely ruined the ground. We've co- completely changed the way we cultivate food. We've added all these chemicals to our environment, to our water, to our air. Changed. Sperm counts change reproductive reproductive cycles and reproductive quantity. It's very strange. I and, and I would say post war is where it really took off. Post World War Two, mm-hmm. when the use of plastics increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the what's terrifying to me is like, if we can have that significant a change in two hundred years, what's possible in another two hundred years? And is all this t- happening exponentially, which it probably is. The declines that we see in miscarriage and fertility and sperm counts are not exponential. They're linear. Um, but the growth of the plastics industry is exponential. How come the exposure is an exponential if the growth? I don't know. I huh. don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, maybe it isn't exponential. Maybe I misspoke. It's, it seems to be faster than linear, though. Mm. Yeah. It's it's. So, would you like to take a quiz? Sure. Okay. I love quizzes. Oh, good. So, we have something called the Jizz Quiz. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But you you have to go, you have your phone? Uh, Yes. Okay. So, and your listeners can take it too. Okay. Yeah. So, so you go on to Dr. Shauna Swan. All right. This is your website? This is my Instagram. Oh, okay. I'll go to your Instagram, Dr. Shauna Swan. Hold on, please. And you should see, under the highlights, on the left, you should see the jizz quiz. Oh, it tells me I have no internet connection. Hmm. There's no internet in here? Well, you might have it. I might not be logged in. So maybe you can do it. I gotcha. Do you see a page that looks like this? 
Uh, yeah, I have the night mode yeah, on. Yeah, But I got you. Yeah. So you see the jizz quiz? Jamie's oh, got perfect. it there. You're right. The jizz quiz. Click Great. on the jizz quiz, young Jamie. Here we go. Come right. one, come all. You're hilarious. <laughs> okay. What is your fertility? What's your fertility IQ? Many men and women feel fairly confident about their fertility intel, but research shows a surprisingly high percentage of people don't know as much as they think they do. Are you one of them? Answer these six questions and find out. Well, I've reproduced, so I'm pretty sure my sperm works. But I could be wrong. As far as sperm go, which of the following can contribute to whether a man is likely to be considered infertile? One, his sperm concentration. Uh, A, excuse me. B, the size, shape of his sperm. C, the way his sperm moves, swim. D, all the above. Um, I would say D. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Click that. Click that. You have to click D. Yeah. D. Uh, Can you do that? This is your Instagram. You can't really click on that. That's uh, like an Instagram story. Okay. Okay. Answer D. Aside from a total absence of sperm, total bummer, we know, no single sperm parameter can uh, predict that a man will be completely infertile. Turns out when the sperm concentration, motility, the sperm's movement or swimming ability, and morphology, the size and shape of the sperm, are measured, each one matters in identifying infertile men. But there is an an additive effect. When one of these measures is in the infertile range, a man is two times more likely to be infertile as a man with none of these measures in the infertile range. When two measures are in the infertile range, a man is five to seven times more likely to be infertile. And when all three fall are subpar, his odds of being infertile are 16 times higher. So you're really... Whoa. Messed up. Yeah. That's not good. Okay. What's next? Okay. Question number two. Does the size of my taint matter? Well, we already know that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yes. Whoa. Wow. A lot of people don't get it. That's people with little taints. They're in <laughs> denial. Okay. The answer is yes. While the official term for taint, oh, the people that are listening, it was like 40% said no. Or 40% said yes, 60% said it didn't matter. Yeah. But it does matter. While the official term for taint or gooch is anogenital distance, ACD, size really does matter. The length of the guy's ACD will reflect his exposure. We talked about this. Okay, we already know this one. Let's go next. Number three, what proportion of infertility cases can be attributed attributed solely to the man? A, less than 10%. B, about 11 to 24%. C, 25 to 33%. D, 34 to 45%. I'm saying D. We can't click on it. Won't let you. Let's go. Answer C. Interesting. Less than I thought. Infertility used to be considered mostly a woman's problem. That seems so sexist. Yeah. <laughs> um, in recent decades, it has become increasingly recognized that male reproductive issues can cause approximately one-half to one-third of infer- infertility cases. I would assume it was more than that. Same proportion as female reproductive challenges do, the rest are believed to stem from a combo of male and female factors. It takes two to make things go right. Oh, it takes two to make things go right. (laughs) Here we go. Testosterone replacement therapy can increase sperm count in men with low testosterone levels. That's false. Good. Only 47% think that. Oh, they better check yeah, it out. Yeah, they right? don't. They don't understand that your body produces less when you exogenously 
introduce it. Go up so I can read that. Uh, it's true that a connection between testosterone level and sperm count, but testosterone replacement therapy doesn't help sperm. Here's why. When a man wears a testosterone patch or applies testosterone gel to his skin, the hormone enters his bloodstream and his testosterone levels go up. So far, that's good, right? Problem is, his brain interprets this rise as a sign that plenty of testosterone is available and sends signals to the testicles to stop making more. This may cause a decline in sperm production. Not what a guy wants. Okay, next. Question number five. Besides a lack of exercise, which of the following lifestyle-related factors is associated with male infertility? A, smoking cigarettes. B, alcohol, sugar-sweetened beverages. C, lots of TV. D, all the above. Most certainly D. Okay, D, this may seem like a whole lot of bad news, but the upside is, oops. Okay. No, it's okay. Yeah. That's okay. okay. Uh, This means that if a man cleans up his lifestyle, gives up cigarettes, heavy alcohol use, sugar-sweetened drinks, and couch potato habits and takes steps, literally, to slim down and be physically active, his sperm count and his sperm integrity may increase significantly. Next. A man's age can affect his female partner's miscarriage risk. True. 82% agree. True. Research suggests that for men ages 40 and older, their female partners have a 60% increased risk of miscarriage compared to the aspiring dads under 30. This may be largely because with advancing age, there's an increase in the presence of abnormal genetic material within the sperm. At any age, a pregnant woman is more likely to miscarry when sperm is faulty, but neither partner may realize this. That's a miscarriage of reproductive justice. That's a big thing with men who drink heavily, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, number seven. Oh, oh that's it. Yeah. The jizz quiz. How'd you do? Uh, I got them all. I'm a jizz quiz. <laughs> I think I cheated, though. I cheated because I knew because, because we of talked, you. Right? We talked. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I aced the jizz quiz. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. I don't it's know if cute. I should say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny, though. It's very catchy. Yeah. So people can take that. Oh, let me make yeah. sure I follow you on Instagram. Mm. Definitely need go. to do that. Thanks for playing. Great. Bam. Great. Thanks for playing. And then yeah. there's the book. So um, all those factors, uh, I mean, all that stuff's very interesting. Um, but what, like, now that we know this, how do we get this word out? Other than this podcast, what can we do? Um, how can how can we let people know how big this issue is? Any ideas? Well... This isn't, this is just a little piece, but I'll tell you that I have, we're going to make a film. I have several producers. You're going to make a documentary? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, so that's I, good. Get that on Netflix or something. Yeah. Freak people out. Scare yeah. the shit out of them. Right. Maybe even lie a little bit. Get them actually, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, what else you got there? You got um, more quiz notes? Oh, yeah. I actually have another quiz here. <laughs> <laughs> but the, these are what we call revelations. Okay. And these are things that you might not know. Try to talk into the microphone. Just pull that. Yeah, yeah. Up these are go. these are things you might not know, um, and you can just turn them over. The um, some of them are about the man, some are about the woman, some are about both. Um, so there's a they're in the book. Okay. No, but um, try just turn them over. It's, oh. You just so turn what them, do I do? Turn them over and read the revelation. Well, start. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The, Should I do the, it this the, way? Those are the men, the male ones on oh, top. Yeah, on top. Okay, the bottom ones are the female ones. Yeah. Okay. But, it was once believed that each sperm contained a miniature 
preformed human being called an, how do, how do I say that word? Homunculus. Homunculus. Really? That's yeah. how you say that? It's spelled animacule? That's oh, oh, animacule. Yes, oh, that's animacule. another name, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's an alternate name. I was like, wow, yeah. why is yeah. it spelled so weird? <laughs> okay, it was once believed that, um, I would say that's true. Well, these are all true. Okay, they're this all is true. not a fruitful. So this is just f- fun facts. Oh, yeah, okay. Is, More so, fun facts. So just to go go on that one for a minute. So this guy who developed a microscope was the first person to see this, and he he saw sperm. He was the first person to see his own. He thought sperm. it was like a little person swimming around. No, but he imagined that. Of course. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look at that guy. That's hilarious. Aha! Uh-huh. There he is. There he is. And he probably thought it did look just like him. Van Leeuwenhoek. It's a little tiny me. Yeah. Trying to reproduce, right? Yeah. Um, that do you, I'm sure you're you're aware of that uh, sperm wars controversy. You were, were aware of that book, Sperm yes, Wars? Yes, remind me. There was a guy that theorized, and I don't think it was supported by um, facts or further research. But people started repeating it. It was one of those things that people would repeat at cocktail parties or whatever, and you'd be like, "Wait a minute, what?" And I remember, this is pre-podcast, I remember being super skeptical. But the idea was that there was more than one kind of sperm. There was a sperm that was attacking the other sperm and killing sperm of other men. Right. Yeah. I've heard that too. And um, that that actually there are physiologically the way the woman is shaped and um, her vagina is shaped and uh, is to make it easier for the earlier sperm to kill off the later ones that are coming in after hmm. them. Um, so I think there is something to that, but I, like the I The sperm said, do kill? Because what I've heard is that there's yeah, only one real kind of sperm. Oh, I don't know about the two kinds, but it may be that the there's some battle, uh, there definitely is a battle to get, you know, to the target Right, first. there's a race. There's a race. But I don't think they're killing each other. I don't think there's a war going on in there. You know, I don't know. I Let's don't know. Google. I don't know. Sperm wars. Just Google I'm sperm looking wars. I'm the book right now. Ah. Like, <clears throat> the one one claim that already sounds a little <clears throat> uh, skeptical. Yes. yes. Uh, male masturbation is said to discard old dying sperm so that ejaculate <laughs> contains younger sperm so that it will stay active inside the cervix longer, with that sounds... more of a chance of being present during the window of ovulation. That could ovulation. be. That could be. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because you know you're producing sperm all the time, right? Right. Right. So. And certainly the ones that are ejaculated are going to be the, the ones that are already ready and get so, rid of those and have make room for the new ones. I, I don't know. With that logic, should a man masturbate before he tries to impregnate his partner? I'm not going to give any advice yeah. on that. But you already gave a jizz quiz. You, <laughs> you can do whatever you want now. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I read that it was debunked, that this yeah, that they've never found yeah. studies. I think what they were saying that they've never found any real physiological differences in in sperm. Like there's not like a different kind of sperm. Right. I yeah, I I don't know that I've heard there's been a different kind, but I've heard that maybe the timing of the sperm and the you know the the place in yeah. the you know in the race mm. <laughs> so to speak might affect, you know, might affect the survival of the later ones. Here's one. These days, 26% of men who present to doctors with erectile dysfunction are under age 40. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. And you think that has probably something to do with... Oh, absolutely. I mean, testosterone is going down worldwide at the same rate as sperm count. 
All right, here goes another one. <laughs> um, each time a man ejaculates, he releases as many as 100 million sperm. That's true unless you're Tom Segura. And then it's probably 1,100 million sperm. Did you know that? No. Now you do. <laughs> Did he have a sperm count? It's an inside joke. <laughs> Tom Segura apparently has uh, an enormous quantity to his ejaculate. I and see. he was alerting us to this. But quantity. And he is not a liar. He's a, an honest man. That's volume. Yes. The volume and the count are not the, the, and the concentration are not the same thing. Maybe with other men. <laughs> not with Tom Segura. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got a good sense of humor. <laughs> she can hang, right? You're great. <laughs> the testicles of a healthy, fertile man produce 200 million to 300 million sperm cells each day. Again, see Tom Segura. Because it's quite a bit more than that. That's what about a lot, overkill, though, though huh? Yeah, Tom's all about overkill. Um, men with low sperm counts and infertile men have a shorter life expectancy. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. It it just means it makes sense that you're less. There's less vitality. There's um. There's also uh. There was uh, something about um. Something I read recently about the immune system and muscle quality. Like the amount of muscle mass a man carries on his body is a direct correlation to his uh, the, the health of his immune system. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I'm looking up uh, the. Here's an article from Science Magazine. On no this, evidence on for sperm wars. Yeah, that's it. There we go. Uh, Great. Looking through here though, to, to test the idea. Yeah. Uh, an ecologist took sperm samples from 15 men and combined them in various ways. An ecologist, what a weird <laughs> evolutionary ecologist. He took a bunch of jizz and just yeah. combined it in a soup. And nothing happened is basically what they found out. Yeah. yeah. Well, they but probably, obviously. maybe the sperm were smart and they realized like, hey, or maybe they were dead by the time they got out. Like, or maybe they only do it in, yeah, in, in place. In the womb. <laughs> in, yeah. in the critical right, in that, place. Right, in that right. warm environment. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, here we go again. Uh, after sexual intercourse, sperm can stay alive in a woman's reproductive tract for five days. I've heard that. That's crazy. That's a lot. And you know what it means is that the, what people think of as, you know, that you have to get it all on one day is right. not correct. Yeah. That also makes sense that if a woman is not ovulating but a man has sex with her before she's ovulating and then all of a sudden she gets pregnant, that's what it is. That's the sperm, it is. the right. sperm stuck around. Right. Sperm was like, look, I'm not giving up yet. I'm telling you, this door's going to open. Men who take testosterone supplements can suffer from reduced sperm counts. We already went over that one. Um, the riskiest period for a man's reproductive development is while he's in the womb. Well, you know that now. Yeah, we know that now. That's that's very kind of shocking. This yeah. is all shocking. That, uh, everything you've said is shocking today. A man who ha a man today has only half the number of sperm his grandfather had. Yeah, you never met my grandfather. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's trying to be funny. It didn't work out. Uh, a female is born with all the eggs she will ever have, approximately one million to two million eggs. I've heard that. But see how what the imbalance is there. Mm -hmm. That's a big imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. Here's this guy mating 100 million every day and, you know. Girl has 2 million for life yeah. if she's lucky. And they die off for her yes. pretty qu quick, yeah. In some parts of the world, 
a 20 something woman today is less fertile than her grandmother was at 35. Wow. So it's not just delaying your first child until you're older that's making fertility decline. This is something that has to do with chemicals. Right. Oh, all right. 50 to 60 percent of pregnancies that ended in miscarriage are chromosomally abnormal. Wow. That's high. 50 to 60 percent. Yeah. A lot of those are very early. Maybe the woman didn't even know she was pregnant, mm. right? She might have just had some spotting. And, and then there's that just was some error. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, because, you know, you don't want to put all those resources into a chromosomally abnormal fetus. This is bananas. Worldwide fertility has dropped more than 50% over the past 50 years. Well, I told you it was the same rate of sperm decline. I know, but that's, it's just weird worldwide, worldwide to read that. Yeah. So it, back in 1960, the world, the number for fertility is the number of children that a woman has or yes. a couple has. So back in 1960, it was five across the whole world. So on average, people had five children, right? And now they have less than two and a half. Now, is that from choice or is that from being fertile? We don't know, but it does directly correlate with all the chemicals that you're talking about. Right, and and with sperm count. So it's when, when, and here's what's happening in some countries, it's a lot worse. So like in Singapore, into the microphone, so like Singapore and um, Korea, they're down to one. But is that by choice? No. No. They, and they can't, the government is like subsidizing them having children, paying them to have children, building apartments for them to go into if they have children. They can't get the number up. Whoa. Uh, did they have a higher use of plastics over there? Um, I don't know why it's more difficult there. Um, I know that, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, we don't know, have a lot of information about the distribution of these things across the globe, except to know that they go everywhere. Um, so I, I don't know what the explanation is for that very low fertility rate in Asia, but I know they are extremely concerned. Once a child is born, is there any potential way to mitigate some of the effects of these chemicals that in utero? None that we know of. So it doesn't close the door to some invention or some it doesn't. In the future, no, but, no. It's, but right now, yeah, no, right now, we nothing. we don't know. Anyway, <sighs> all right. I'm gonna keep going. The riskiest rooms for your fertility are your kitchen and your bathrooms, not your bedroom. That makes sense. The products we're talking about. This is all stuff we already know. Damage from a man's or pregnant woman's exposure to problematic chemicals are, uh, and, lifestyle, uh, and lifestyle influences can harm the reproductive health of multiple future generations. That makes sense. We talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that. See, now we can all, you know it all. I'm, lear <laughs> no, I'm learning things from you. Some experts are now considering reproductive function as a sixth vital sign for health. For health. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying everybody should know theirs. It's a, th it's a thing, though, that 
people, you, I think you're correct in that men don't want to admit that they have uh, low testosterone or low sperm count or low vitality. It's a pride thing. That's right. Yeah. They're less men. They're, they feel themselves to be less of a man, right? Yeah. Yeah. But on the flip side, a woman feels something like that also. When sure. She feels like she can't produce. Um, well, then you have the added effect of the man blaming her. Right. Right? Because... I, I, get, I get, like, if the guy has sex, if he ma- ma- manages to get erect and ejaculate, he's like, I did my part. Right. Like, the guys aren't really checking to make sure that they got right. good stuff. Uh, increasing numbers of fish, frogs, and reptiles are being born with ambiguous genitalia, including both ovaries and testes. Alex Jones covered this. Remember? He said the frogs are going, turning gay. That's... Literally because of pesticides, right? I wouldn't say they're turning gay. I'm but say- they are ambiguously sexual. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's correct. He wasn't really saying they were gay. He was just saying. Yeah. Um, homo sapiens are already fit in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service standard to be considered an endangered species. Really? Yeah. But there's so many of us. <laughs> well, there's almost 8 billion of us. Even though, like, we're declining in fertility, we're inc- increasing in numbers. Isn't yeah, that bizarre? but that, the criteria, if you, I, I opened the book because I thought this might come up. The place where I have that, oh, okay, you want me to read it? Sure. Okay. All right. So. Um, oh, you have the bookmark. That's right. <laughs> this place, in case it came up. Um, so some scientists suggest that um, uh, it's hard to fathom. But an argument could be made that Homo sapiens already fit the standard for an endangered species based on U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's requirements, okay? How would that be? Well, of the five possible criteria for what makes a species endangered, only one needs to be met to be called endangered, okay? So the first is that we're arguably experiencing destructive modification or curtailment of our habits. This is wording from the fish and wildlife. Well, what mm. this means that we're messing up our air, our food, our water <laughs> in a way that um, dis- modifies or destroys our uh, habitat. And we're definitely clearly doing that. Clearly. We talked about that yeah. a lot. Okay, the next thing is, the next one, um, ba, 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 ba. the second <clears throat> is that we have, quote, an inadequacy of existing regulatory mechanisms. Bingo. We talked mm. about that. The third one is that we're, we're <clears throat> there, there are man-made factors affecting our continued existence. That's three. So we meet the criteria, the criteria for endangered. Wow. Even though there's so many of us. Even though there's so many of us. <laughs> This is all hard to swallow. This is uh, like you're not painting a very rosy picture of the future, ma'am. We all, males and females, start life with the same genital apparatus. Yeah, we all know that. That's why guys have nipples, right? That's that single... That's that. Yes, yeah. the guys have nipples. But we that's that single ridge I told you about that mm-hmm. starts out... The default is female, by the way, right? If the yep. testosterone doesn't come along, then it's yep. fem- female development. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what that's about. And last but not least, um, declines in sperm count and testosterone levels and increases in testicular cancer and miscarriage rates are all occurring at the same rate. 
1% per year. Wow. I call it the 1% effect. <sighs> Shannon, this is all very disturbing. It's all, it's really, um, there's no rosy outlook on this because when I'm looking at what potential steps can be made to mitigate it, I see all these obstacles. I see lobbyists. I see enormous corporations. I see habits that people have had that will be very difficult to break. I see people getting skeptical. Even when I read the breakdown of this, I didn't think it was as bad as you were going to as you described it. I thought like, oh, maybe we can just stop using these plastics and your testosterone will come back. I didn't think about the developmental cycle of children in the way that you've described it, and now I'm genuinely terrified because I don't see people changing their habits that much. And it seems like this is going to cause, it's going to, you need a monumental shift, right. a, a gigantic change in order to do something about this. Is that safe to say? Yes. How do you feel about all this? Like after you've done your research and granted you've lived until you, you started studying this in the early 2000s, right? This mm -hmm. is when it started to become a factor. That's not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden you have this view of humanity and the future and it's got to be pretty disturbing to be yeah. the per you're the Paul Revere of tiny testicles and taints. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but um, jokes aside, I am very disturbed, but I feel I guess I'm an optimist at heart. You know, I still believe that we can do something about this. I, we got lead out of gasoline, right? Yes. We do make changes. We've got pretty much asbestos under control. We've got uh, mercury out of thermometer. I mean, they're just small things, but we've got right. an aller off of apples. So when when people, if if you multiply that by you know hundreds of times, having people go after specific problems that they're concerned about, I think we can do this. We've done amazing things, and you know we produced this vaccine in a year, right? When it, people said it wasn't possible. You know, we, we put the lander on Mars, you know, I'm, and I just yeah. I, I have a lot of faith that technologies that I haven't thought of, you know, chemicals that I haven't that haven't been designed yet will come in and take the place of these chemicals. That well, I would are, hope so, too, but I'm, I'm hope it's not like BPFs. Right. You know, where the, right. the solution is worse than the original problem. That's right. I'm um, I'm just skeptical because I think so many industries would have to make a big change and it would cost them so much money that they're going to deny this as long as they can. That's my concern. Like, look, we know that glyphosate's bad for you. Yeah. Monsanto's never stopped selling it. But they have in other countries. Other countries have put the brakes on it. Right. They, they have it in America. Right. And we know it's not good for you. So we have to, as a society, recognize that we need more governmental regulation. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want that. A lot of people don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been a really um, confusing podcast because it's just, it's not just scary. It's scary. And I don't, sometimes you go, oh, we have to go do this. But this one is one where like, oh, there's so many problems here. There's so many problems to stop. I don't, I didn't know that it was as bad as it is. Well, I'm actually glad you're disturbed because you have a lot of followers and maybe they will listen to this and think about this and you know help to turn this around. I, by the way, I, I ask people to use the hashtag count me in. Count me in. Yeah. 
That could be used. That could be hijacked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you should be careful about that one. Count me in is not very specific. <laughs> I might have just started something accidentally. Count, capital M, capital I. Okay. Yeah. I don't think the capitals matter mm. with hashtags. Do they? No, they don't. I don't think no. they do. No. I don't. They don't. No. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk with us about that you need to get the word out on? I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, I think it's uh, the next problem, uh, you know, i just say in closing that we had denial of climate change and then some recognition of climate change and then finally people saying there's things we can do about it. And I see the same pattern happening here. Initially, there was a study saying sperm count had declined in 1992, which was dismissed. I was actually skeptical of it myself at first. Um, and and then when my paper came out in 2017, it went viral. It was the 27th most cited paper in the world that year. Mm. It was on the cover of Time and you name it. So, And then people didn't say sperm count has not declined. They said, yes, it is, we do have a problem. But they didn't make the next step, which is doing something about it. And I think the same progression will happen here as has been happening with climate. Well, I hope so. I hope we I hope we become aware of that. I hope we helped um, sound the alarm with this podcast. And if anybody wants the full story and all the information, do you have an audiobook of this available as well? Yes. Uh, Countdown. It's available right now, ladies and gentlemen. Please go get it. Uh, thank you very much for being here. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking to you. You're very funny and uh, and very insightful and brilliant. And so uh, I really appreciate you. So thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. It's My been pleasure. really great. My pleasure. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.